Let's bow for prayer before we get into our Bible study tonight. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that it will be a blessing to our hearts and uh, teach us and help us to grow in our Christian lives as we study the word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we're in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, and we're talking about judgment of false teachers. We started this last time. Uh, We looked at... Uh, the promise of their judgment. Uh, We talked about the precedent of their judgment. And that's where we kind of got the first point of that uh, particular area. And we talked last time about this spared, he spared not the angels. That's one illustration. And then uh, we come to a second illustration, and that is, He spared not the old world. Now in verse 5, we read, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Uh, In in chapter 3, Peter will talk about three worlds. The world that was, the world that is, and the world that is to come. And God spared not the old world. That is the world before Noah. It says, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. There were seven others with Noah. Noah, his three sons, their wives, and Noah's wife uh, was the eighth person who came through the flood. It says, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. The people were religious. Uh, They simply left the living and true God out of their religion. Uh, They were living as if God didn't exist at all. They were living in the flesh. You know, it's a false idea today that you and I, in the flesh, have some good in us. Paul says, I have discovered that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Noah, in in a day when there was rebellion against God, a day when the world had become lawless, in Genesis 6 and verse 5 it says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Violence was abroad in the earth in that day. God moved in and with the judgment of the flood brought an end to the pre-Noahic world. It was a world that had become, with exception of one man and his family, a total godless world. God did well in bringing judgment in that particular time. You can see that it would not have been long until the entire world would have been in such a condition that God would have uh, had to judge it and there would have been salvation for no one after that. And so in his judgment, God had in mind the future that was coming. And his judgment reveals his care and his respect for the human life that he had created. Now, immediately after the flood, In order to curtail lawlessness and crime, God gave to man this edict. He said this, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, 
by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. Now it is nonsense today to argue against capital punch punishment by saying, well, the, God, the Bible says, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not murder has reference to an individual who harbors hatred in his heart and expressing his own fleshly feelings in anger or hatred, he slays another human being. That is murder. But has God given to governments the authority to execute man who takes another man's life? Well, he certainly has. Now listen for a moment. You do not show respect for human life by letting off a murderer who has destroyed another human being. You show respect and value for human life when you take the life of a murderer who fails to respect another human being but despises him by killing him for some selfish or sinful reason. Oh, how we've reaped the consequences today in our nation of wrong humanistic thinking. Our education system has gone to seed as a result of the false philosophy of men like John Dewey, and that philosophy has permeated our schools over the last century. You know, the philosophy is that you don't discipline students or else they'll not be able to express themselves. Uh, you don't want to apply the Board of Education to the seat of understanding for fear you might ruin his little oomph, and he won't be able to express himself. Well, little Johnny is expressing himself today. He's a thief. He's a murderer. He's homosexual. And the Lord Jesus says that out of the human heart proceeds the ugliest, nastiest, nastiest things that can, are imaginable. The unsaved world must have discipline from a government. And if it does not, that nation will be destroyed. God laid down this principle for governments following his judgment upon the world of Noah's day. Now we come to a third illustration. It says in verse 6 that he spared not Sodom and Gomorrah. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live un ungodly. Now, you can read the record of this in Genesis 19. It was the flesh that God judged at Sodom and Gomorrah. The inhabitants were given over to sodomy. and Homosexuality was approved of in Sodom, and it's approved of in the United States. And the flesh is an ugly thing. You and I have an old sin nature, and it is a nature which expresses itself in that which is ugly, that which is wicked, that which is nasty. You cannot make believe that by making homosexuality lawful, somehow or another you've added dignity to it. God has said that when men go down that low, he gives them up. You can take it or leave it. But that's what the Word of God says. Just check Romans chapter 1. The very fact that we have been lenient and smiled on this type of thing has caused it to increase and to grow in our land. 
Now look at verse 7 and 8. It says, And delivered just Lot, vexed with filthy conversation of wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Now the word vexed there is a word which means to tire down with toil, to exhaust with labor. It means to afflict, to oppress with evil, to torment. Lot vexed his soul in the city of Sodom. He was never happy there. He was tormented on the inside. It was torture for him to live in Sodom. But when you read the book of Genesis, it's difficult to get that impression of Lot. Now, we should be glad we have Peter's commentary. Otherwise, we might apt to say that Lot was not saved. By reading the story back in Genesis of when Lot went down to the city of Sodom, got into politics there, and lost most of his family, it would be easy to come to the conclusion that he wasn't saved. Even when you read what happened with two single daughters who escaped with him, you might wish they too might have stayed back in Sodom. But the point that Peter is making is that God got Lot out of that city. You see, God knows how to deliver the godly. And we're told there in verse 6 that all this is given to us as an ensample. Now that word ensample is a a word that's not used uh, anymore, but the translators used it on purpose because they use Ensample here, and they also use example. Uh, but here, ensample always refers to man's characteristic and behavior. Ensample never applies to an inanimate product. But example, on the other hand, may apply to both personal and, as typically used, general products and processes, not personal. And I think that you and I are going to get into uh, uh, going to get two big surprises when we get to heaven. The number one surprise will be that there were, are not going to be some people in heaven who we were sure were going to make it. Uh, they really weren't genuine, although we thought they were. And the second and even bigger shock will be this: there are going to be some people in heaven who we never suspected were real born again children of God. They didn't have very much of a testimony down here. And Lot is an example of this. I don't think this man had a testimony for God at all. When the angels came and said that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were going to be destroyed, Lot went around to his sons-in-laws and, 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 and said, I've got a word from God that he's going to come and destroy this city. He's going to judge it. Let's leave. And the Bible tells us, but it He seemed as one that mocked. I suppose they said, we don't believe you, old man. The kind of life you've been living down here doesn't reveal to us that you had very much faith or confidence in God. If we had only had only Genesis to read, we would have to come to the conclusion that Lot didn't make it to heaven, that he was not a saved man. But, Peter says he delivered 
just Lot. Now that doesn't mean he delivered only Lot because his two daughters went with him and his wife, although she didn't get very far. But Lot was called just because he was justified in God's sight. And then it says, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation, that is, the manner of life of the wicked. He didn't go for the way they lived. He hated it. He was a just man, which means that he was justified before God because he trusted God as Abraham did, although he didn't lead a life like Abraham. He didn't have... the kind of testimony that he needed to have. But Lot stands on the page of Scripture as a saint, a saint of God, who was justified because of his faith, but his life denied everything he believed, and he never had a moment's peace down here. And then it says, For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing. Just think of the filth that that man had to listen to. I don't believe that a true child of God continually engage in a filthy manner of life. But God said to him, Lot, you'll have to get out of this city. I cannot destroy it with you in it. You see, in the meantime, there was a man by the name of Abraham who was not criticizing Lot, but he was praying for him. And that's a good lesson for us all. It's easy to criticize someone, especially if you don't agree with them. But the question is, are we praying for them, those that we tend to criticize? And I don't mean selfish prayers like, dear Lord, change their hearts to my way of thinking. But rather, dear Lord, help us to have your wisdom and that both of us would walk in such a way as to please you. So Abraham prayed for the city of Sodom. He wanted his nephew Lot to be spared. Abraham asked God to spare the city for the sake of 50 righteous people. He finally got it down to 10 righteous people, and then he stopped praying because he was afraid that Lot was not really a child of God. But Lot was, and God got him out. God said, I cannot destroy the city until you get out. So here you have Three illustrations, three precedents of God's judgment, and the same judgment will come to those who are false teachers. Now there's a third area that we want to look at here before we close, and that is the pattern of their judgment. And we saw the promise of the judgment. We saw the precedent of the judgment. Finally, the pattern. And we come down to verse 9. And we'll conclude with this. Verse 9 says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Listen, the Lord knows how to judge the wicked. And he also knows how to rescue the righteous. And that's what we learn in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. But in verse 4 it says, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. And so if you're saved, you're not going to experience that. 
The rapture comes first in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and then the day of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The Lord is going to deliver his redeemed people, his beloved people. And the Lord is going to rescue us, even as he did Noah and his family, even as he did Lot. If we turn over to Luke chapter 17, just for a moment, Luke chapter 17, and look at verse 27. Luke chapter 17 and verse 27. It says, They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus, shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Jesus said, don't look back. Don't look back. It will be just the same. God will rescue his own, and judgment will come. And that's the pattern of judgment we have in verse 9 and the first part of verse 10. And so it's a clear pattern. Again, look at it in verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the, the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. If he knew how to save Noah and those seven that were with him, and he knew how to save Lot and his two daughters before he destroyed the city, then he knows how to save those who belong to him, and they have absolutely nothing to fear. And so the pattern of the plan of God is to rescue the godly out of, before his judgment falls, and fall it will. God knows the difference between the godly and the unjust. One of these days, he will make the separation when he takes his own out of this world and when the loss will be brought before the great white throne judgment. So let me close with this. Should we be fearful and should we be worried about false teachers and their possible influence? Well, I would say that we need to beware of them, as the Lord tells us, but not fearful or in a panic. Notice again what Peter says. The Lord knoweth how. That's very important. It's a tremendous statement. Sometimes we get discouraged on trying to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. Why? Because we do not know how. But he knoweth how. And the only way to avoid being bitten by a serpent is to stay away from the serpent's troubles. But when the serpent comes to you, then you must throw yourself upon the protection of him alone that has bruised the serpent's head. You know, snake handlers are fools. The only way to handle a snake is to crush its head. What about the lion? 
Can you do as David and take the lion by the beard and kill it? Listen, David did not claim to have, have done that by himself. The Bible tells us, David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me. He said, the Lord will deliver me. And we cannot prevent the bite of the serpent and the jaws of the lion in our own strength. But the Lord knoweth how. And I'm thankful for that promise today because we are kept in the power of God through faith, as 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 tells us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this brief Bible study in 2 Peter. We thank you, Lord, that you know who uh, those who are your own, and you're going to judge those who are false. We pray your blessing and your help over our church family in the days ahead. Help us to not be fearful or in a panic. Help us to trust you and know that you know how to deliver us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.